Today's sermon passage is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning we pray that you would teach your people. Teach us not that our heads would be big with knowledge, but that we would be filled with faith. Teach us that our hearts would be filled with love for you and love for neighbor. Teach us that we would long to serve you and serve your kingdom above all else. Teach us that we may find hope in you and look to you for your power at work in your world. Help us, O oh God, we pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew. We're studying our way through the book of Matthew. These first four chapters are really introduction. And what's being said in them is this. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is true. Look to him. Look to him. Look to him. So before we get to what he taught, before we get to all the things he did, Matthew is shining a bright light on Jesus and saying, look to him, consider him, he's the one. And we come today to a very interesting passage. In the immediate preceding, Jesus was baptized. Jesus was not baptized to wash away his sin, but to identify with the sinful humanity and to, quote, fulfill all righteousness, meaning to fulfill all the things that God desired um, to reveal his Messiah to the world. Jesus was baptized. And upon this baptism, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord descended on him like a dove And a voice from heaven cried, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then we see at the beginning of chapter four. (coughs) Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now at its most simple takeaway, this could be today's sermon, but trust me, I'm not going to let you off this easily, okay? But this could be today's sermon. Jesus was tempted and he did not sin. 
Jesus was tempted and he did not sin. That's very true. That's a, a point of this passage. But I think there's, there's so much more there that the Lord wants us to see and receive and believe. And so we're going to walk through that today. So the first point is tempted. It's tempted. So I, what I want to do in this first point is I want us just literally to walk through the story and I'm going to point out some, some more surface level things that will help us understand the story. And then in our second point, we're going to ask the question, why was Jesus tempted in this way? Because I think the passage helps us understand that as well. So we're told in verse 1 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <clears throat> so who drove Jesus into the wilderness? God did. It was the work and the plan of God that Jesus experienced this trial and this testing and this temptation. Then we're told when he got there, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, there was an understanding of fasting in these days, very similar to how we think about this, like skipping food, skipping meals, skipping consumption for the purpose of focusing on the Lord and prayer and relating to God. Now, I know I have a bit of a demented sense of humor, but I think it's hilarious that Matthew says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. That's some insight right there. <laughs> brother was hungry I don't know maybe it's because I have three teenagers in my house and it's like asking them to go 40 minutes without consuming food is like a miracle so Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and at the end of the fasting the tempter came to him and tempted him vehemently intentionally and came after him now, now friends for whatever reason, when we think about spiritual disciplines like fasting or setting aside time for the Lord, like we think about these like, like romanticized like Hallmark moments where it's like, I went on the mountain and I was with the Lord and I heard the angelic voices and everything was beautiful. And that's just not what the Bible says. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and at the end of it came the challenge. I think that's consistent biblical so the tempter came to him and intentionally tempted him three times. And in these three temptations, he's really putting a spiritual challenge before Jesus. If you're the son of God, which remember Matthew's point in his whole book is to prove and to show and to display Jesus as the one true son of God. He says, if you're the son of God, then you'll do these things. And in every instance, all three instances, Jesus rebuffs the tempter. He rebuffs the tempter because the tempter is evil in what he's asking Jesus to do. So first temptation is in verses three and four. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, this isn't 
isolated and haphazard. Remember, he's hungry. 40 days, 40 nights. If you're really the son of God, then take these stones and make them bread. I think there's something else going on here. You remember what John the Baptist said or just at the last little incident in this story? He told the religious leaders that God could make children of Abraham out of stones. I think that fits together. He's like, hey, son of God, do something with the stones. Make some food for yourself. Satisfy your hunger. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus says, no, actually, I have a need greater than food. It's to walk with the Lord in obedience, to walk with the Lord to fulfill all righteousness, to, to be the Savior the Lord sent me to be. I'm not selling that calling for some bread. Quickly, we move then to second temptation. It says the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the, the pinnacle of the temple and said to him again, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. Now watch what he does. He quotes Psalm 91. God will command his angels and their hands will bear you up and your foot will not strike a stone. Now, this feels kind of obscure and random to us. Like, how do we go from a hungry man needs some bread to jump off the temple and see if God will be your parachute? And like most scholars believe that there was a, a common teaching among the rabbis at that, in those days that that's what would happen to Messiah. And it was somewhat based off of this teaching or these verses in Psalm 91. But Jesus, verse 7, rebukes him and says, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I'm just going to make a little modern American pastoral sidebar here. Minimally, this second temptation tells us that everybody quoting Bible verses is not necessarily correct. If you just moved here from California and you're trying to understand the South, it's probably like half the room. You're tr we're glad you're here, number one. Number two, if you're trying to understand the South, everybody with a Bible verse is not actually representing the Lord. It really will decode things. And like you're going to go to the mall and they're going to be selling potpourri laced pillows with Bible verses like he will bear you up with eagle's wings. Like, like it has nothing to do with it, you know? Like, like so... Everybody quoting a Bible verse is not necessarily accurately representing the Lord. That's just an aside, but I th Satan was using Scripture to misrepresent God. And Jesus said, no, we're not going to do that. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. Very high mountain, look out over all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And Satan said, look. I got an easier path for you. Just worship me. Just worship me and I'll go ahead and give it all to you. Versus fulfill all righteousness that terminates in a cross and your father forsaking you. 
Jesus said, verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. After this third temptation, we're told the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. So the Spirit of the Lord sent Jesus into the wilderness for this time of testing and trial and temptation. Coming out of it, the angels of the Lord gather around him and are ministering to him and are meeting all of his needs. And from this, he's going to launch out into the beginnings of his public ministry. So before we wrestle with this more biblical, broadly biblical question of why was, why was Jesus tempted like this? Why is this narrative important to the work of um, the story of, of Christ? Let's, let's make a couple tan- connect, like, tangible connections here, okay? Number one... The story of the temptation of Jesus precedes his public ministry because it's not the only temptation in his life and ministry. Rather, this story, while historically unique, I think encapsulates what every day of his life and ministry was like. Tempted to take the way that was not the Lord's way. How many times, if we read through the gospel accounts, did someone come to him and say, just tell us that you're the Lord. Just do this magic thing. Just draw all the attention to yourself. And he would say, but it's not my time. This isn't the way. And he always set his mind on Jerusalem. So this is, I would argue, not an isolated. In one sense, it's isolated, but it's not the only time Jesus was tempted but rather it's setting up what it looked like for Jesus to live as the Son of God who came to fulfill all righteousness and redeem God's people. Second, let's notice that even Jesus, the Son of God, who in one sense is human like we are, but in another sense is divine like none of us are, he is utilizing the word of God as a path for obedience to God. So Jesus, the word of God, according to John 1, is utilizing the scripture as a path for obedience to God. Minimally, that has to be a a model for us. The, The path to please the Lord and obey him is to receive and follow what's revealed to us about the Lord and about his ways in the scripture. But then, I think we are still left with this this broad question. Oh, I'm sorry, there's one more thing. Testing? And trial and temptation often, 
are the will of the Lord for us. The Lord doesn't want us to sin. The Lord doesn't want us to reject him. The Lord doesn't want us to stumble and fall. But the Lord wants to put us in places where we are drawn to trust him and to reject the flesh. Where we're drawn to lean into the spirit and reject the tempter. And for some reason, we think that the trial, the Lord's not in the trial, so somehow we're left there on our own. But rather, this says the Spirit drove Jesus into the trial. And the Spirit was with Jesus through the trial. And then the angels, all the spirits, came and ministered to Jesus at the end of the trial. So there's this mysterious space where God is not evil. God does not perpetrate evil. God does not do evil. God does not want evil from his children. Yet, he uses trial and testing to free us from the flesh and move us deeper into walking in his ways. If you're like, dude, you're making this up. I want to give to you 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will, always, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God's in the temptation, God's moving us toward it, and by his Spirit, is providing a way to endure it. Because the endurance is the sanctification and the transformation. So ultimately, we must take a step back and say, why did Jesus go from the baptism to the wilderness? The pastor says, because the Spirit drove him there. Then we must take another step back and we must say, well, why is this in the Bible? Because you know who wasn't with him out there in the wilderness? None of the disciples. Not a single one of them because he hadn't called them yet. So Jesus told them about this. It was important enough to share. So then this pushes us to this question. Why was this important in the ministry and the life of Jesus? And so that pushes us to our second point this morning, righteous. When Jesus came to be baptized by John in chapter 3, John said, no, 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 no. no. I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me with the Spirit and with fire. And Jesus said, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness not meaning the absence of sin alone, but righteousness meaning everything that God desires, everything that God wants, everything that God wills. Jesus' messianic work was to walk in complete righteousness such that he could redeem unrighteous people. So the goal of, of this temptation, so, so ultimately, that wasn't, I don't believe, just for the baptism. I believe it was for all the life and ministry of Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. So ultimately, this temptation is part of Jesus fulfilling all 
righteousness. It was part of Jesus. It was part of his mission to do so. So Jesus, the Son of God, navigates a sinful, broken, unrighteous world, including the facing of temptation, including being tempted to reject the Lord and reject his messianic place. And Jesus, the righteous one, always carried out righteousness so that he could represent and deliver and save and transform unrighteous people. Take the Hebrews 2 passage that we prayed through earlier and just put it right there. Jesus suffered in every way such that he could be our propitiation. He could be the one who could make the unrighteous righteous, make the rebel redeemed. The entire life and ministry, including this story of temptation, including this story of the wilderness, was Jesus fulfilling all righteousness. Jesus identifying with sinful humanity to deliver sinful humanity. Now we got to go one step further. One step further. Here's the one step further. Additionally, with each bit of this narrative, Jesus is saying that he will complete for Israel what Israel failed to do for itself. He's saying that that Israel failed to live righteously as the people of God, but he will be the faithful Israel for the people of God. Okay, show me that. Okay. Jesus said three things back to Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord only and serve no other gods. Because there are multitudes of Old Testament passages that Jesus could have referenced to say those things back to Satan. But every, all three of them come from Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. They come from Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. Do you know what's going on in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8? God's sending Israel into the promised land. And he's saying, this is what I want from you. Don't fail. Live this way and walk in the blessing. Live this way and enjoy the fruits of children of God. Live this way and enjoy the land that I've given to you, my people. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, what happened to Israel? They failed gloriously. I mean, they just botched it at every turn. Second chance, botched it. Third chance, botched it. 77th chance, botched it. You know, so Jesus, you know, says, how many times should you forgive somebody? He said 70 times seven. Like, that's probably where they were. I'm told, that's not what that passage means at all. I'm totally just saying, like, like, they just failed. They failed miserably. And yet, here is Jesus, the Son of God, living in a sinful world, walking in righteousness. Why? So that the people can experience the blessings promised in Deuteronomy that they could never experience based on their own living and working. 
Because they failed and they failed and they failed and they failed. So he's not just being set up as the deliverer of humanity, but he's being set up as the true son of Abraham and the true son of David who will bring the true blessings of Israel through his life, through his work, through his righteousness. Jesus is everything that Israel failed to be. Third, this temptation story sets a trajectory where the scripture can testify to this. Jesus was tempted in every respect as we were yet without sin. That's Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This means a couple things. One, he overcame sin. He had a perfectly righteous life. That life went to the cross. That life was sacrificed. That righteous life that was sacrificed is then offered to all who call upon his name such that we can be called the sons of God. That's the gospel. But it goes one step further. Whatever you were up with at two in the morning, that sin that had you up, that you were struggling with and battling with and trying to fight through, Jesus knows the struggle and he didn't succumb to it. That's the path of Redeemed life filled with the Spirit following Christ. That's what Christ offers to us. A Savior who completely identifies with the temptation and completely knows the power to not succumb to said temptation, but to walk in righteousness and obedience and faithfulness. We can go to Him. He can lead us forward because He lived such This temptation story is setting a trajectory throughout all the Gospels that says Jesus was no mere man. There were were several things specifically unique about him. And one of them was while he faced all that humanity offers, he did so without sin so that he could save unrighteous, sinful people. And then when he says... Take up, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That means I know how to lead you through this temptation. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Let's go. Follow me. That's what Jesus has to offer to us. So it wasn't like the Son of God was born of a virgin, flitted around Israel for a couple decades, and then decided it was time to die. But rather, he was born of a virgin into a fallen world and all that that means. And he navigated said fallen world to fulfill all righteousness in such a way that he could offer a new life, 
and a better way to all who call upon his name. This passage begins to set that trajectory in the story of who Jesus the Savior is and was. So friends, I know these first four chapters have become somewhat repetitive for us. But chapter four shouts this. Hey sinners. By the way, that's all y'all. Me too. Hey sinners. Consider this Jesus. Consider him. He has what you need. He has the hope that you long for. He has the, the, the freedom and the life that you wish you could know. Consider this Jesus. And then what I want to say as a pastor to, to a room full of mostly Christians, man, when, when Jesus redeemed you, he had something better for you. And when he said, come follow me, like, like, like he wants to change all the sin and the brokenness and the messed up fallen world stuff that, that keeps us awake at night. And we need to believe that he understands and that he's with us, but he wants to lead us through it. So go with him. Go with him. Have faith to go with Jesus forward, believing that he wants to change who you are and change who we are and make us like him as he makes all things 